I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs! For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Bader Inc. College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice. We are barreling towards a football season, and we are breaking down every single Pac-12 team. We're doing Arizona, ASU, and we are doing Oregon State this week. And I am joined, as always, by Mr. Rob Barron, the, the president of the Bader Inc. College Football Statistical Model, who was just so overwrought with joy that he took last week off because we had what appeared to be almost a real action football week where like normal bizarre things happen not just bizarre bizarre things what's going on rob B- Bader Inc. oddly enough is doing unexpectedly well consistent like consistently against the spread so far i mean it's 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 only uh it's it's hit above 60 percent every week uh if you don't count like the first week whatever i think there was like two games or something um but yeah, it's been uh, it's been a ride. I'm excited to I'm ex- and I'm I'm even more excited, of course, now that the Pac-12 is coming into play. And it's like in two weeks, the Big Ten's joining in. Like, this is gonna be fun. The Big Ten's joining in. We're covering actual Pac-12 football news and and players and evaluations and all that stuff. And of course, we have our Pac-12 survivor pool. So uh, two things before we introduce our guests. The first is um, we've seen an uptick in our downloads, which is great. And then a number of people stepped forward and wrote a review. If you wrote a review, thank you so much. Again, we don't want to do pledge drives like like Rob talked about. So if, if this is your first time uh, listening to the podcast or the, the, if you've been doing it for a long time and haven't written a review, go to Apple Podcasts, write a quick review for us. That'd be uh, super appreciated as we go into the season. And the second thing is we have our Pac-12 Survivor Pool, which is coming back. Very, very excited about this. It's up and running on our website, sharpcollegefootball.com. All the rules are there. We'll tweet them out. You can follow us at 12-Pack Radio, 1-2-P-A-C Radio. Pick a team to win every game, uh, every week, uh, just one game, and you can't pick a, a team more than once. That's it. You win, you move on, you lose, and you're out. Um, and the only way that you can get involved with this is by sharing, retweeting uh, this podcast and our podcast as we go towards the season. So just hit retweet. Let us know. Or if you share it on Facebook, just take a quick screenshot and send it to us. Liking this show does not help. We want you to retweet it. That's how you get in. And I will give you the password to join the Pac-12 Survivor Pool four years running. And uh, and we're keeping tracks. And the winner will get some free, legit swag of your, uh, of your choice from our, our friends at Etsy, which is pretty exciting. There's some really cool stuff on there. With all that out of the way, here to introduce our guest as we break down all of these games, Mr. Hithleday from Addicted to Quack in the Quack 12 podcast. What's going on, Hithleday? Uh, not much. I am excited to talk about a well-coached contender for an excellent division of Power 5 football, plus the two Arizona schools. Oh no! <laughs> Shots fired already. All right, all right. Let's get into ASU. Let's get it. Because uh, the unofficial 
slogan for this podcast is that we are firm for Herm. Isn't that right, Rob? <laughs> I do. He is, he, is a, he is a bit of a breath of fresh air uh, amongst many of the coaches that treat, uh, you know, practice like they're, um, you know, that they're, they're actually like reading out the nuclear codes out loud. <laughs> I think one of the things as we get into ASU is uh, everything is relative, right? So we were talking about Colorado and UCLA in our last podcast, and we were pretty bullish on Colorado, but bullish in the sense of like, if they win two games, it'd be awesome, you know. Like, uh, and they have the ability to do that. But like, you know, the, the Colorado certainly isn't a team that's going to be competing for the Pac-12. I think when we talk about ASU, it's it's very similar to that. Not not in the sense that they're going to win two games. I think they're going to win a lot more than that, and we'll get into that. But it's more, uh, you know, it's compared to what, like, you know, ASU has um, a pretty decent program going and like smooth and steady wins the race, which is kind of, you win to, you you play to win the game as Herm Edwards would say. Um, And that's kind of indicative of that program where a pretty steady hand on, on the the direction of the program, although they have made a number of hires uh, that we'll talk about here that I think will hopefully improve the program. And we'll get into that. Um, But at the end of the day, this is an ASU program that's sitting pretty with a fairly easy schedule. They're in the South. They return a lot of starters and, uh, I, I can see why f- our friends in Tempe are excited about the year, Hithliday. Um, I guess the question is, um, you know, like, is this a team that can contend for the Pac-12 period, or is this a contender in the Pac-12 South? Uh, I think they're definitely a contender in the South because they don't really have any other competition besides USC, and, you know, you win one game, there you go. Um I, I think sort of similar to what I said about Utah uh, last year, Um which is that, you know, whoever comes out of the South has to face the team that's coming out of the North. And, you know, whoever survives out of the North uh, has tended to be, and I tend to think will continue to be, you know, just a more athletically complete team, top to bottom on the roster. And teams from the South are built like spoilers. They're not built like, you know, playoff contenders. Well, looking at the ASU team here, Rob, let's go into the beta rank um, rankings of them going into the 2020 season. I think, you know, and I had asked you a question on Twitter where, where uh, you know, does beta rank take into consideration all the departures and, you know, like the transfers and stuff. Um, and it sounds like that's not the case, but with ASU and, and please speak to that in a minute, but like the, the good thing is that ASU, not a lot of turnover here. I mean, a lot of young talent coming in, a lot of uh, players that started as underclassmen that are now, you know, progressing through the program. So I think compared to most teams, ASU's projections were probably pretty similar post-COVID than they would be pre-COVID, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. I, I mean, <clears throat> with ASU, they're, they're, they're returning you know, quite a bit on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, 76% of their production there. This is you know, Bill Connolly's returning production numbers. Um, they're only you know, 50% on the offensive side of the ball, and they lose some real key playmakers with Benjamin and Ayuk. Uh, they're, they're, they're at 101 in returning production there. There's been some recent uptick in recruiting, um, but a lot of those guys are, are young. They're at 26 overall in recruiting. Uh, but I mean, last season, uh, and I, you know, I, we might as well start to get into some of this. You know, I mean, the, you know, they were a they were a defense first team in a lot of ways. Their their defense was, I mean, by Pac-12 standards, not bad, but 44 overall in Beta Rank. That's kind of I mean, you're shading towards like kind of a little bit of a bad Power Five defense there. But their offense was at 89 overall. Um, and I, I think a lot of people remember that offense a lot more fondly than <laughs> the data shows. Um, but that that said, like our projections um, do reflect the expectation of improvement. Um, you know, the offense coming into the season projects at 62 
Uh, the defense projects at 28. Um, we're projecting them overall at number 43. Um, and uh, 3.47 expected wins uh, against the schedule that they have, which, they, I mean, you, like if you look at the schedule, I mean, the, the teams in the South, um, you know, they really drew the short straw in getting Cal instead of Stanford. Yeah, and, and but they're in the South, <laughs> so they get yeah. UCLA and Colorado and Arizona and, and teams that, that are very beatable. I think the to start this off, we should go to the quarterback, which is Jaden Daniels. And the numbers, if you take a look at them, um, just the raw data looks pretty good. And, and again, true freshman quarterback, I think that that showed a tremendous amount of poise that was able to get out of the pocket when he needed to, that was able to throw the ball when he needed to, and he, and he won the games um, that, for the most part, he needed to win and, and lost one that maybe probably shouldn't have happened, but also kind of jumped up and got Michigan State. He got Oregon. Um, I think there, I, I see the optimism there. And again, the, you know, going from a freshman to a sophomore, you know, there, there's a lot of room to be able to grow there. Taking a look at the raw stats here, 2,900 yards. Um, 60, basically 61% completion rate, 8.7 yards per catch. We'll get into that. We'll put a flag there in that number, <laughs> but, but does look pretty nice on paper. And then here's really the kicker, 17 touchdowns and two interceptions. This is a quarterback as a true freshman that did not give the ball away. And Herm Edwards, that's like Herm Edwards wet dream, right? You play to win the game, just keep the ball controlled and then make sure that the defense can keep you in it. And that's what ASU did for, for the most part, uh, you know, as, as, uh, they're working through, uh, somebody that was really trying to get acclimated to the program. So Hithliday, um, that's the, the starry version of Jaden Daniels. And, um, and again, I think there's a lot there. Um, what are some hesitancies that you have in terms of uh, his projections coming into this 2020 year? Well, I definitely spotted a lot of true freshman uh, mistakes in film, and it simply remains to be seen whether or not uh, those remain true freshman mistake. You know, they stay in the historical closet or they stay within his whole career. You know, that's one of the the just unknowns when you have a true freshman quarterback. Um, th- there are a couple of things that sort of make you pause about Daniels. Uh, he most of his pack, he was number 12 out of 12 quarterbacks in the pack 12 for throwing uh uh, most of his passes only five yards downfield or fewer, you know, he, just a ton of screen passes in Rob Lykins, uh offense last year. Um, they're going to have a new offensive coordinator next year, Zach Hill um, from Boise State, who ran a very, very different offense and kind of not a good fit for the rest of the talent on uh, ASU's uh, uh, offense. In fact, sort of the opposite, you know, strengths and weaknesses in terms of the talent that he had. So it remains to be seen how Daniels works with uh, Hill. Um the the other thing is that I tend to think that uh, Daniels breaks the pocket way too often, um, which is uh, kind of curious because a lot of commentators, you know, praise his being calm and collected in the pocket, which seems to be true. On the other hand, he's just breaking it way too often, um, even when his offensive line is giving him decent protection, which is not that often because his offensive line's not very good. Um, but uh, and on top of that, you know, while there are some very memorable plays in which he scrambles for big yardage and clutch situations and like wins the game, there's like two or three times when he wins the game scrambling. Most of the time when he scrambles, uh, about 63 percent of the time on my tally sheet, uh, when he scrambles, it results in a sack or a minimal gain. Um, he's just not that effective of a scrambler. Um, most of the time, the few times when he does scramble being spectacularly notwithstanding. 
Rob, before we get to you on Daniels, I want to get back to what you mentioned, Hithliday, in regards to the scheme change and Zach Hill coming in for Boise State and that not being a good fit, at least for now, with some of the personnel that they have at ASU. Can you go in a little bit into that? Because scheme really matters. And um, and I just wanted to highlight you know, some of the areas where, if you're an ASU fan, just to keep an eye out for. Um. So Zach Hill at Boise State was primarily running a 12 personnel offense, meaning one running back and two tight ends. Um, and it was a, you know, sort of, for lack of a better term, a pro style offense. You know, they were dominating the Mountain West because they had, you know, just better at the line of scrimmage in terms of blocking. And then they pop it over the top of play action passes. That's not at all what Arizona State's offense has looked like the last two years under Air, uh, Rob Likens, who's an air raid Big 12 disciple. Um you know, they they were sort of, you know, spreading it out four wide a lot. They used tight ends, although not very effectively. Um, and, and the big problem that, you know, Arizona State has, or at least the mismatch, you know, it remains to be seen whether or not it's a problem. Could be that Hill's very adaptive and he works with this. You know, as far as I can tell, he's a good uh, offensive coordinator. It's just that he's only ever done it at one school with one style. And, and you never know if a guy can adapt until he's asked to adapt. Um the mismatch is that you couldn't find a more opposite set of talent, strengths, and weaknesses uh, between Boise State and Arizona State. Arizona State has some excellent wide receivers uh, coming in. They, they recruited four four stars uh, in the 2020 class. One of them, Elijah Badger, is not um, academically eligible. I will let the Arizona alums write the jokes about that one. Um, uh, and they returned Frank Darby, who's not bad. Uh, they got an opt-out uh, today, um, uh, Jordan Curley. Um but like, you know, they're sort of unproven, but it's looking like, you know, their strengths will be this high flying, spread it out, you know, throw the ball downfield type of offense. It doesn't look like their strengths are going to be, uh, uh, you know, running the ball behind a fantastic offensive line and great tight ends because they don't have those. Um, so we will have to see what happens. Uh, we just don't know at this point. Hey, Rob, do you want to talk into Jaden Daniels and then let's transition to some of the skill positions that he has? Because there is, like Kithliday mentioned, a lot of really exciting young talent. And again, if you're an ASU fan listening, and I know there's a lot of them, um, your team's going to be good. So we're, we're like, if this was Arizona, like we'd be like, hooray, look at all these wonderful pieces that they have. But uh, but yeah. ASU is above Arizona in terms of their skill and their talent and their expectations. So we're just kind of highlighting the things to keep a lookout for in order for ASU to go from good to, you know, competing for the Pac-12 title period. So I just want to set some context there, but go ahead. Yeah, and I don't want to take. I mean, I I think they were ready to. I mean, it was they needed to move on from Likens. That was a necessary move. Oh, definitely. That was um, one of three coordinators I was calling for being fired for two straight years. And yeah, I was. I'm always shocked when what I wish for comes true. That's way too much power for me. I mean, almost everyone that needed to get fired last year in the Pac-12. I mean, really, except for like Jerry Azanaro and the two at Stanford. Everybody lost their jobs that needed it, mm-hmm. um, including. I mean, but I, I will say I was a little surprised with Hill. Um, you know, when, when his Boise teams did run into a defense that was actually pretty good in the Mountain West and particularly had a strong front seven like they ran into with Wyoming, um, an offensively challenged team, but under Craig Bull has had very solid defenses. Um, he wasn't very imaginative, and I'm, I'm really interested to see him try to adapt to what is going to be a, a tough situation because uh, part of the reason I think that Daniels, I mean, there's a couple reasons I think that they didn't have him put the ball downfield very much last season. One of which was his offensive line was awful, <laughs> just awful. Uh, and so, you know, you don't want to, you don't want him back there holding the ball very long. 
uh, to begin with. I mean, this they certainly did not. It was certainly a shift from even what they had the year before uh, with Manny Wilkins, where Manny Wilkins was often sitting back there taking shots, holding the ball, um, you know, right before he released it. I, I think you know that that definitely played a part in it. Another part was that Daniels downfield wasn't as accurate as you would like. This is something pro football focus has called out on a couple of their write-ups. Um, and that's something that is, you know, noted quarterback coach, Mike Leach has often pointed out is like accuracy just isn't something a lot of guys get better at. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see Daniels in this offense that is going to feature more of a running game. Um, and that may allow him, I mean, a lot of teams that are more of a pro style, uh, you know, and that are able to run the football, they're often setting up a little bit, you know, on the play. I mean, if not setting up the play, play action, they're often at least taking more shots further down the field than five yards. Uh, you know, Daniels, they're going to have that expectation for him to be able to do that. How that fits, uh, I, I think is going to be interesting. Um, but, you know, you're right. There's, there's a lot of really solid talent out on the perimeter. Um, I know that ASU fans are jazzed about, you know, the offensive line, uh, there, you know, as far as like potentially improving, they're talking about the Stanford transfer, the Texas A&M's transfer. I would just be careful with that talking. I mean, neither of those guys played very much, uh, you know, on their, you know, at their prior respective respective schools and Stanford's offensive line hasn't been good. <laughs> so like, I think if there's a major watch out, even though I think there's a lot of uh, and and maybe there's and maybe we're probably pushing back on the narrative a bit on, on Daniels that he is you know right there with Slovis. I think Slovis is is really quite a bit ahead of where Daniels is as a quarterback. That said, like I think the the tail of the you know the tail of this ASU offense this next season is going to be on the offensive line and whether they're able to really even run the ball effectively again because last season it really wasn't you know Benjamin's fault that they couldn't run the ball. I mean it was it was really on the O line that I mean and with that wide receiver talent without Brandon Ayuk, who was just a, 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 as we have seen, even in the NFL, a marvel of breaking tackles and getting yards after catch. Um, you know, is Daniels going to have enough time to find downfield? Is he going to, is he really going to have to move his feet um, effectively to, to buy time to throw down the field? That, that I think is going to be, even as we talk about, I think the scheme is not exactly what you would want, even though I expect Zach Hill to improve on what Likens was doing. You know, it's not, it's not perfect, but it should still be better. And, and I think if you're an ASU fan, better is good. Let's talk about this. I, I oh, think yeah, there's yeah. a, I think there's a world in which Arizona State's offensive line improves, um, if they can stay healthy. Because you know they returned three guys who, uh, yeah. off of last year's line: Henderson and West and Cote. Um, uh, Cote got a medical red shirt because he got injured really early. Um, and they brought in two transfers: Henry Haddis from Stanford. I'm not really impressed with that guy, but who knows? He might be getting better coaching. It's not like I like Kevin Carberry at Stanford. Yeah. And then Kellen Deitch, who was like a high four star from uh, Texas A&M, but as you say, like he wasn't getting played at Texas A&M. That's why he transferred out. So you know, what does that mean? We don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But the, there's definitely a world in which those five guys turn out to be a decent offensive line. The problem is depth. They just yeah. have not recruited offensive linemen at a power five standard at all. And, you know, it, it tells you something that they had to take two offensive line transfers just to get to five. If one of those guys gets injured and, you know, knock on wood that it doesn't happen, but I mean, it's happened every year at Arizona state that I can remember, like they are in deep, deep trouble. Yeah. I, 
think it's the worst offensive line situation when you take all factors into consideration in the Pac-12. Well, you saw that in the recruiting that they had where they recruited like 18 offensive linemen this year and last year. <laughs> they brought in, including like additional transfers, including Cody Shear, Jarrett Bell, uh, people that they brought in um, that, that could really step in in a few years. We'll see if that happens. Um, but like you mentioned, me, like Ladarius Henderson was a true freshman that played. Donovan West was a true freshman that played. Um, and, and now that they have a year in the system, plus the transfers. Anyway, I, it could be a scenario where that offensive line gets gets a lot better, or it could be one where it's kind of like, oh man, it's duct tape and chicken wire because a couple people got hurt. So um, I think that could be um, a weakness of the program. Let's really quickly go into the skill positions here. We're talking about the running back. So they lose A.J. Carter uh, to transfer. He had offers from LSU, UCLA, and Arkansas in 2018. But really, it's the talent behind them, Hithloday. Uh, what do we got here in this running back core? Well, the other one they lose, of course, is Eno Benjamin, you know, who's a thousand yard rusher last year. And that was behind, you know, not very good offensive line. And, and they sort of were transitioning away from him compared to 2018. Uh, as far as I can tell, the two, they are most likely to start the two four stars that they recruit or one of the two four stars. And the other one will be his backup that they recruited in the 2020 class, um, train him in the God. But um, I think the train will probably get the edge because he looks like the, you know, the bigger every down back and got is the change of pace back. But, you know, we'll have to see on that one. Um, never seen him before. You know, they were four stars. You know, the thing that I'll say about Arizona State is that, like, you know, just like I was saying with the offensive line, it's really true for the all of the skill talent up and down from quarterback to wide receiver to running back. Um they got four stars uh, in the first string, and they got nobody in the second string. You know, God help them if they have a bust or an injury because, I mean, that's it. They, you know, they, they really don't have much else, you know, going on back there. Yeah, Demetrius Flowers was a sophomore, three-star kid out of uh, in 2018, offers from Wisconsin and UCLA. But, um, but again, another unproven commodity there at the running back position. Uh, just shifting real fast over the wide receivers. I mean, we talk about Frank Darby. I, I forget that commercial where it's like the Lady Pyramid with the the guy from um, Hangover, and he's like, "I got all this because I'm fast." <laughs> like that is Frank Darby, somebody that is going to be that home run hitter. But you know, listening to our friends at um, Speak of the Devils, uh, like that, you know, they do a lot of good stuff there. I think the expectations for Darby is to continue to be a downfield threat, but not necessarily. He doesn't have to be the number one guy as long as somebody else steps up, whether it's LaVon uh, Bunkley Shelton, uh, Johnny Wilson, again, younger people, like you mentioned, Hithliday, that are unproven coming into the program, but coming with a lot of pedigree. Uh, Shelton was the number 16 wide receiver of the 2020 class. Johnny Wilson, top 20 receiver of the 2020 class. Uh, they've had a couple. I mean, obviously they lose a ton from the wide receiving core with Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Williams, Ryan Newsom are all gone. Uh, Paul Lucas transferred. Isaiah Floyd is gone. So it's all new. And let's go with you here, um, Rob. All new, but uh, but it could be some shiny new toys. We'll just have to find out how they're used. No, I mean, it's uh, in some ways, if you're ASU, you're kind of bummed at the way that the schedule shook out that you have, uh, you know, you have you know, uh, the US, USC and Cal really to start out the season because it's it's not ideal. There, there are some young, talented players that you're excited to see out there. But I mean, if you're, I mean, if, if you're going to tell me that you're going to run out mostly this, like, you know, an offensive line that might be a bit better. No, you know, Benjamin, no, Ayuk, you know, Darby's Darby's year to your most returning experience and a bunch of guys, frankly, that, you know, that are, are very talented, but I mean, it, running college routes is a little different. I mean, that experience does help. I mean, returning experience, returning production matters more on offense um, 
that it does on the defensive side of the ball. Not that you can't often step in a little earlier out on the perimeter than you can say on the O line, but I, I think that you know I, I I think that ASU there there I think some ASU fans are excited to get USC early. I think that, however, like USC is also probably excited to be getting ASU early with breaking in as many new faces that they're going to have to have. I think that they are going to play some of these young, talented guys out there uh, early. Um, but, you know, Wolves mileage varies, you know, on, on, on young players. So I, I, I am interested to see, I think that they'll rotate though. And, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll find, I mean, I, you, you know, I couldn't tell you which of the guys might end up starting and working, but um, you know, there's definitely a plethora of them to choose from there. Um, the question though is, who's on the field because if, if Hill has his way and he's running his offense, he likes, you know, they're, you know, are they, are they going to, are they even going to be an 11 personnel often enough? Right. Or they, you know, does he have two tight ends on the field often? I would guess not given the, the talent that they have. If I was, I, w- I would have four, <laughs> four yeah, wide exactly. on the field that, as often as I could. That's just what I'm saying is, is this is the last offensive coordinator that I would hire to, to, for this, talent yeah. distribution like it's a it's a real mismatch and it could be that he'll i guess i'll put it this way this is the last thing i want to say about asu's offense maybe we can move on to the defense after this but uh, uh that they are my highest variance unit in the entire pack 12 all 12 teams offense and defense this is the highest variance because there's a version a realistic version of asu's offense which is the best offense in the pack 12 because you know, they do have a quarterback with a phenomenal arm. They do have very talented recruits in the front line. They do have a solution at uh, uh, offensive line. They do have an offensive coordinator who's proven to be effective, at least at one place. Um, and playing against the Mountain West, which is about the equivalent talent as the Pac-12 South. Uh, there's a version, a realistic version of that offense, which is phenomenal. There's also a very realistic version of ASU's offense in which a lot of different things goes wrong. Some of those dudes bust. There's an injury that they can't afford. The offensive coordinator can't make it work with a different talent profile. And it could be one of the worst offenses in the Pac-12. I really have no idea. Well, we will find out very soon here and let's let's transition to the defense and rob can you give us those numbers again where did asu finish last year in defense um and where do they finish in rushing and uh, passing defense and then what are the projections for 2020 yeah and i'm pretty i'm pretty bullish on this asu defense i I mean i I feel like everyone in the world is talking about the offense when actually the defense and really the special teams last season too but the defense was better and was really improving under danny gonzalez um, they had a bit of a quixotic offseason. Um, so anyway, again, they returned 76% of their production on this side of the ball. They were at 44 last season. Uh, we're projecting them coming into this year at 28. So again, like, a, you know, a unit we continue, you know, expect to continue to improve. Uh, they they had a little bit of a split last season. I mean, nothing like on offense. Uh, their offense last season was 104 in rushing the ball at 53 at passing. Their, their defense, they were better at stopping the run, 31 an effective rush, 56 an effective pass, where they really struggled, um, you know, and, and they, they they were their drive efficiency, you know, their and their play efficiency. I mean, you could put together a pretty good yards for play against this defense, and you could put together some longer drives against this defense, and that's something they could definitely work on. But, I mean, they went through, if you count Danny Gonzalez, and then also Zach Arnett, well, does Zach Arnett, but no, then it was Tony White. Tony White went to Syracuse. <laughs> he was going to be the DC and they were going to continue in the, in that Rocky long three, three, five. And then he gets hired, you know, he gets hired because Zach Arnett, who was at Syracuse, gets hired to go to Mississippi state. 
So they replace him. And then it's, it's Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce. Um, and we were just kind of bantering back and forth about who the play caller might be between the two, neither of whom have called plays in a long time. And one of whom has never called plays above the high school level. So <laughs> there's, there's some mystery too about, I mean, I, 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 we were bantering that they're, they're likely switching over to the four, three from the three, four. I mean, I, I am still excited about this defense. I think there's some promising talent. There's some, you know, there's some players to like uh, there, but it is, uh, they've definitely added a little bit more mystery into the mix with uh, the coaching staff changes. Yeah, going into the trenches here, DJ Davidson returns, Jermaine Lole returns. Um, both had pretty solid seasons last year. They have, they've really recruited well. I think at the ends, right? You have Amari Johnson, who probably added about forty pounds. Stanley Lampert, uh, Shannon Foreman, who's a senior. Stefan Wright, who's the number fifteen defensive uh, end in twenty nineteen. So th- there's some pieces there, Hithlade. What do you think about the trenches? Uh, I agree that the defensive line, or at least uh, their ability to stop runs up front uh it was the best thing about arizona state's offense last year or excuse me defense last year and uh you know you're you're also right bryant about their uh, overall defensive talent in fact as i project the two deeps um just looking at their 247 you know what their ratings were coming out of high school arizona state is the fourth most talented defense uh in the pac-12 they actually edge out stanford for that um the uh, although i that might not be saying much given stanford's condition but for another day uh the, there's a couple things to observe. Um, the first is uh, last year under Danny Gonzalez's defense, they were really crowding the box a lot. They were bringing safeties down to the box. And one of the big things was that it was hard to run against them, not because they were you know, technically uh, sound, uh, but rather because there was just like eight bodies in the box and they're just gumming up the works. And the other thing is, uh, you know, teams were just just preferring not to run against them uh, and instead passing against them because you can hit the pass over the top of Arizona State. We'll talk about the DBs in a bit, but just to give you a little, you know, statistical background, they have rated Arizona state has rated number 75 or worse in yards allowed per pass attempt every year since 2013 like this has never been a good pass defense um and teams know it and they just pass over the top so of course the run numbers look a little bit uh, better they're also missing two guys off the defensive line who are uh, really important uh, george lee and roe wilkins um and then to get to the second level a little bit i think maybe there's a holdover from merlin robertson their linebacker he had a really phenomenal 2018 his freshman year they moved him inside in 2019 and he did not thrive uh inside um and his production really fell off he was really important to their run stopping um and he was simply not as effective at that in 2019 and i think of the indeed they are moving to a 4-3 they're probably going to select robertson as their mike linebacker in that 4-3 and i don't think that's going to work out so i have my doubts that their run effectiveness is going to be as good um in 2020 Seemed like he was a little bit in the doghouse also uh, that year, last year. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, to see. it seemed like there were some off-field distractions. I never really got a, cl- a clear picture on that one, but I've heard that too. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't like you know, it, it was just more nothing nefarious, but just there were some times where it's like, ah, I'm not certain. You know, you, you yeah, can and it could it. be that that was just distracting him and he bounces back from it when his mind is clear you know totally fair yeah they also have a guy named darian butler who is going to be on the outside and uh the asu guys really like him 90 tackles six and a half tackles for a loss three force fumbles um looks to have a really solid lock on that position it'll be interesting to see right he moved 
Mm-hmm. He moved to the weak side in 2019 and he did a lot better. It was weird because it was like a flip. You know, Robertson was really the stud in 2018 when they moved him. It you know, didn't go so well. And then the other one that they lose uh, their starters, uh, Kalen Kearse Thomas, um, uh, plus uh, the backup Tyler Wiley. Um, yeah, I don't think their linebacker situation is getting better. And 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 the linebackers are going to be more crucial in a in a four three if that indeed is what they're moving to. So I, I'm kind of worried about it, to tell you the truth. That third spot will be interesting to see who fills. You know, it'd be interesting. Like I, I, I'm looking forward to a lot of the stories that are coming out of camp. Um, you know, they got a kid named Joe Moore who is the number 14 defensive end. Now I'm not certain if they're going to throw him on the line or not. If he's going to see the field or not. Jordan Banks was the number 12 inside linebacker of 2020. Not certain if he's going to see the field or not. But some interesting talent there. Again, kind of going. This is this is the theme of ASU. It's, there's a, there's some really interesting pieces. We'll see if they can put them together and whether or not this is the year or next year is the year. Uh, but certainly a team that's going to be very competitive. Rob, what do you think about that front seven? I'm really interested to see this switch because, and we've, you know, we, I, I guess I tend to focus on the teams in the PAC 12 that are switching over to the, the three, four, and there's a couple of them in the South that are doing that. And we'll talk about one of them in a couple minutes of I mean, or so is the, you know, you're often with the three, four team. You're talking like, all right, now you're switching to a three, four. Do you have anybody that can play two gap? You know, with this ASU team, all of a sudden I'm looking like, do they have anybody that's like a true end that can really rush the passer because you're not bringing those linebackers anymore on the rush um, as often, right? Like your your front four is is there on the line. I th- That's where I guess I, I worry a little bit more about this defense. I mean, I, I kind of like them in a three-man front um, with their personnel. Uh, I don't know that they have, I don't know that like they, they're, they're as well fit. And, you know, Hibbleday talks about this a little bit. I don't know that they're as well fit for this. Uh, in a way, right? And it also gives them less flexibility with what they can do with their linebacker personnel and positioning. It, I, I mean, I think like I still like most of the parts there, and you know, all together. And I think you know, you're not gonna like. I don't expect them to like fall off the map. I still expect the run defense to be pretty solid uh, for this unit. And and you know, that's that's what you're going to be grading the front seven on first off the bat anyway. So you know, that's pretty good. Whether they're going to be able to get to the passer as effectively out of the four three. Uh, is a little bit more of a question, I would think. Yeah, and again, we have ASC projected as a top 30 defense coming into the year. So yep. again, everything's relative. If there's going to be some issues, it's like likely play calling and um, whether or not we're going to, you know, ASC is going to be able to fill in a couple of the spots there. Uh, let's go to the secondary because I think this is fascinating. Hitler, this was a question I really wanted to ask you because a lot of ASU fans are really big on this secondary and I can see why, right? Chase Lucas at corner, Jack Jones, who kind of came into his own um, later in the year, um, somebody that kind of got thrown into the fire uh, as a cast off from USC, uh, comes into the program, basically takes a starting position and um, is was getting acclimated to the program as the season progressed. You got a Shari Crosswell is somebody who likely will see the NFL big time 2018 recruit. Um, there's some pieces here that, and I could see why there's a lot of enthusiasm for the secondary. What do you think about this unit? Well, you're right. They, they certainly return a ton of experience. You know, they only lose uh, one guy as far as i can tell their cornerback kobe williams but they they return everybody else not only the starters but the backups too phillips and hart and and markham the other markham and davis uh the uh so it's a very experienced group but like i said i've just never really liked them on film to tell you the truth i I think they're a solid group you know i i don't you know they're not oregon state's defensive backs certainly like you know they they uh they basically know what they're they're doing they basically you know have the athleticism to get there uh and that's you know 90 percent of what you need to be is a pac-12 defense uh i just don't think they're an elite uh defensive back group which is not you know the worst thing in the world to say uh, about a group and if their defensive front really you know if they're 
getting the production out of some of the these nice recruits that they've gotten over the last couple of years that they ought to be, then you know they're left on islands. The secondary is left on islands a little less long, and and uh, you know it, it, it they could wind up you know playing better than I have seen them play in the past. The two things that I want to say: one, you know, I will remind everybody like they simply weren't effective defending the past last year or really at any time in the last eight years. And number two is the guy who drives me just absolutely nuts is Jack Jones because it's, it's like the Justin Herbert of the defense where one play you will see him play like a five star and you're like, that was an, an amazing act of athleticism. And the next play, it's like, Jack, what the hell are you doing? That is not your assignment. That is not even close to what your assignment is. And like, you know, then it's a roulette wheel. You know, if if the pass goes against him on the one of the plays in which he plays phenomenally, like he's going to get drafted if the pass goes against him when he's taking it off. Oh, boy. Yeah, 45 tackles, 13 pass breakups, three interceptions. I think the big thing with him was he, again, he joined the program kind of on the fly. or They kind of threw him into the fire like you're up. Now, he was a junior at the time, but it just didn't get as acclimated into the program. So I think if ASU secondary makes a leap, uh, the, the improved play of Jack Jones will certainly be a big part of that. What do you think about the secondary here, Rob? I mean, you know, we had him graded out at, you know, what was it again? 56 against the pass. I mean, that's not great. Uh, in beta rank, you're, you're grading out at the, you know, the bottom end of the power five, you know, like there it's the pac 12. So there's, there's Arizona and UCLA and Colorado, and Oregon state worse than you, but uh, they really do have their work cut out for them to continue to improve. And I really thought they'd be, cause Lucas was so, I mean, they were the, the corners that they had were young um, really comparatively, you know, two years ago when they, when, you know, Gonzalez took over, um, you know, I expected a little more growth, out of them last year and we really didn't see it. And that, that I think that, you know, they're, they're not, you know, they're, I don't think the coverage has been good enough to even help out the, you know, the defensive line and the linebackers to get more sacks and pressure on the quarterback. Um, and I think if you have, if, if this, if they do fail in the, in the times when they have failed to get real pressure, um, you know, real down, you know, real downhill pressure, that secondary is in trouble. Uh, because they they have struggled uh, to to stick with their coverages. Okay, last question. Then we move on to Oregon State. Hithliday, are you picking USC or ASU to uh, place above? Uh, which one did you pick to place higher in the Pac-12 South? Well, I think USC is going to win that game, and so therefore win the South. Yeah, I think so too. You, what about you, Rob? Yeah, I've I've got the Trojans. All right. Well, let's move over to Oregon State. And let's do that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. Covering Oregon State here. The Beavs, the Beavs come in, and uh, this was a team that we disagreed with on a little bit in the uh, the Yelling at Buildings podcast where we talked about the season win totals. And uh, But I think, you know, everything's changed. The big snow globe has happened, and here comes Oregon State with a good coaching staff and some really solid pieces on defense, which is interesting, right? Everybody thinks about that offense. Um, Hithliday. You've you've been pretty bullish on uh, the the fr- our friends down in Corvallis. Uh, what what leads you uh, into the world of optimism here? 
Well, the thing that I like the most about them is their coaching staff. Um, they, uh, first of all, are the only coaching staff besides Utah, and it was a close-run thing with Utah, uh, to retain all of their coaches from 2019. Um, and I really like the staff. They're sort of underrated, but uh, you know anybody who studies film uh, will tell you that Jonathan Smith calls just an absolutely beautiful offense, very well-balanced, very well-executed. His players are always exactly where they're supposed to be, and they, they put the defense into binds. It's just nice to watch. I like Tibisar's defense. It's actually, at this point, a somewhat unique structure in the Pac-12, and it works well with their talent. They produced some phenomenal numbers, uh, especially in terms of sacks and tackle for loss. Um, they simply overperform their talent, which is always impressive to see. And, uh, you know, I went on a long rant on our last podcast when I was talking about Colorado. I'll, I'll only do a small repeat of it here. It's difficult to see roster management. I don't blame most fans and sports writers for not being able to pick it up, but I dive into these rosters pretty deep and I see the way that they're moving players around and getting guys back up time and filling holes with transfers and, you know, processing dudes out of the team who are not contributing and uh, distributing talent among position groups and across class balances. And I'm telling you, Jonathan Smith. He's only been in Corvallis two years and he took over for a, a, a team that won two and 10 and a dude literally opted out of the program um, uh, as their head coach. And it, what he has done to, to not only transform, but balance that roster and to plan ahead for the personnel departures that he knew was coming. I mean, I know this sounds like basic stuff, but he's better than almost anybody else in the Pac-12 at it. Most of the Pac-12 is real bad at roster management, and Jonathan Smith is one of the exceptions. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. You can have good. You have a good coaching staff, you know, leading uh, the beeves into the promised land here. Uh, Rob, give us uh, some 2019 numbers, some some 2020 numbers, and then let's fight about Tristan Jebbia here. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I like last year. Jonathan Smith was my pick for Pac-12 Coach of the Year. I thought the job he did was phenomenal. Um, you know, so the, this year, you know, Bader egg, it doesn't love the beeves this year because they just, they returned so little on offense. Um, they're at 123 in returning production on the offensive side of the ball. They were at 31 in beta rank on offense last season, uh, which is pretty darn good for, for where they had been. And I think a reflection of, uh, you know, everything you talked about, about the, the play calling there. I, I, I told Washington fans, they would miss Jonathan Smith. They all told me I was crazy. Um, I did get to say, I told you so, um, the, Bush Hamden got fired. That's another one. I know. Um, but the, uh, you know, the defense, you're like Tibisar's defense really improved last year. I mean, they, they only got up to 77 and beta rank by the end of the year last year, but that's great from where they were. I mean, they were trolling down in the one twenties among the worst defenses in all of college football the year prior. So that kind of jump is really phenomenal. They actually had, Excellent special teams last season, number five overall in special teams. Uh, Rodriguez, their punter, I believe, is gone though, so they will have um, you know a little bit of a hole to fill there. Last season, their offense, they were 26 in effective pass, 55 in effective rush. Um, their defense on, on the defensive side of the ball, 61 in effective rush, 95 in effective pass. Uh, you know, they, they struggled with drive efficiency last season, just giving up too many drives for points, uh, which is actually what they were ex. I mean, which is a reflection of great play calling and execution. They were excellent at that last season on the offensive side of the ball. Number 16 overall in beta rank. Um, you know, they, that, that, that Eve's offense was a, a little bit of a machine in, in play calling and setup last season. So if, if they're the trouble with the bees this season is that, it gets harder to continue making, you know, I don't expect them to make another giant size improvement on defense. Um, you know, we have them projected 
coming into the season on they're at number 64 overall in beta rank 61 on offense, which is just a reflection of how little that they have coming back 81 on defense, which is kind of has them holding steady uh, on, on that side of the ball. Um, that that's really, uh, that's really the one where I, I I'm, I'm more sure that they're going to improve on. I actually like the bees to have upside versus both of these projections, but it's going to be interesting. I also really like, I'll call out their, their, their offensive line coach, Jim Mahalchuk, I think does a really good job too. So even though they're not bringing back a lot of guys on the line, like they, they may end up being better than we expect. Yeah. I, I hear all that and I'm more bullish on them now because of the, just the funky year, right? You have the cohesion with the coaching staff. Um, and I think it's going to be really important as we move into like a seven game season, right? Uh, to be able to, to push together a team and, and keep them focused and just have them prepared, get all that stuff. They're going to miss Jake Luton. Like Jake Luton was awesome. 2,700 was. yards. 28 touchdowns, three interceptions. We were, and, and Rob, in past years, we were kind of calling him the gunslinger where he was going to throw, he's going to throw a pass. You just didn't know who he was going to throw it to and just completely changed the way that he was able to take the reins of that offense and drive it forward. And I just think the drop off between Luton and Jebbia is going to be vast. And I think that's part of the reason they brought in Chance Nolan, uh, the uh, Juco uh, quarterback that comes out of Southern California. I think they're also going to miss Isaiah Hodgins. Like he's gone. Um, and, and you have Champ Flemings and Tyjon Lindsay and some cast-offs from Nebraska. Um, you do get a Florida State uh, and, and an Oregon guy, actually, I think, too, that, that's coming in. So there are some pieces there, I guess, on the, on the uh, wide receiving front. But I just think the drop-off is going to be pretty big. I mean, the, the quarterback is such an important part. And I was not a big fan of uh, Tristan Jebbia. The numbers look fine, 63% completion rate, two touchdowns and an interception. But I just saw, like, I watched a lot of Oregon State, and that offense kind of came to a sputter um, when he was out there just because it might have been just because Luton was so dynamic and drove that offense so well um, that that was the gap. But if it's half of that, I think it's going to be a problem. Um, and I know Max was a real, he's real Debbie Downer on uh, Tristan Jebbia. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think that there there's a cap on this offense if he is – um, if he is what I, what I think he is, but if he's better than that, then I think there is a lot of upside. What do you think? Kethle? I wind up agreeing with your conclusion that their passing offense will probably fall off a bit. I disagree with how you get there. Um, I, I, I think that Jebbia is just fine. I, I don't think there's a massive drop off between Luton and Jebbia. I I've never really understood why anybody thought Jebbia was terrible. I mean, the guy was a decent four star coming out of high school. Uh, and you know, he's only played one full game in his entire career. Every other time that you've seen him, the team that he's been playing for has been in dire straits and garbage time or whatever. He played one full game, which was against Oregon. The final game of 2019. I had to do film study on that article, uh, or on that game to write an article about it. He played just fine. He was not any part of the reason why the bees lost that game. Um, I think if they have to go with Jeb, that they will be uh, just fine. Maybe he, you know, he's not a pro-style pocket passer. Um, but you know what? Jake Luton was harming that offense by the fact that he was a jugs machine, and that if anybody got past the offensive line, he was definitely going down. Um, and I don't think that'll be true for Jebby. I think he has some upside for getting out of the pocket and making plays that Luton absolutely 0% ability to make plays out of the pocket. So Ceteris Paribus, I think that uh, you know th- that quarterback situation is not going to be that problematic. I don't think taking Nolan is much of an indictment to Jebby. Every team takes a, a transfer backup quarterback just in case their dude gets hurt. Um on the other hand, I think the loss of Isaiah Hodgins is enormous. Uh, I think you sort of underplayed that one, Bryant. Like they, that was 60% of their offense last year. Um, I don't even think that's hyperbole. It's sort of hyperbole, but uh, it's 
it's huge. Like the, uh, now what mitigates that is number one, it was definitely the case that Luton and Hodgins had like a rainbow connection, man. Like the, the, you know, Luton got in trouble. The ball was going to Hodgins. If you could lock down Hodgins, you would lock down Luton. Um, it's kind of appropriate that both of them are leaving the program at the same time. Um, and you know, we will have to wait and see what kind of connection that Jebbia or Nolan has with these wide receivers. But again, one of the reasons that I like, uh, uh, Jonathan Smith is not only, you know, is he a good play caller? He's a good assessor of talent. You know, he got he puts the guys out who's supposed to be, you know, out there. He's not going to try to fit a square peg into a round hole. And the other thing is that, like I said, he's a good roster manager and he did a very good job playing all of his backups uh, uh, last year. The, this wide receiver core, despite losing Isaiah Hodgins, is a pretty good wide receiver core. I love Champ Fleming's. Uh, um, oh, uh, come Tyson on. Cham- I mean, like, Champ Fleming's is, is a gadget, right? Like, I mean, yeah, he did have 400 nah, yards, man. but that guy's 5'5", five, five, 150 hey, I, pounds. I know you watched that game against Arizona where Champ Fleming's destroyed y'all. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Uh, uh, right, come on. You, Arizona you is practically like an FCS defense. Well, okay, but <laughs> I mean, Pac-12 where like 8 out of 12 teams have an FCS defense. Like, that's true. You know, they don't have to have LSU 2019's offense in order to light them on fire. Well, let, let me put it this way. If Champ Fleming's is like the per- the first person that you're mentioning, I think you're. I think you're missing the boat. I mean, it's I like Trey Lowe, Treshawn Harrison, I, Tejon Lindsay, Trevin Bly. Like there are some. I, I agree with you. I think there are Look, pieces uh, there. But Bradford is a guy who was phenomenal in 2018. He got injured in 2019. I think he's going to have a good season. Just Irish is uh, set for uh, a pretty good 2019. They rotated it pretty well. The other uh, loss they have in the pass catching game is uh, their tight end, Noah Togiai. He was really good. They are very high on a kid named Luke Musgrave, who's actually Bill Musgrave's nephew. Um, uh, Yeah. Uh, And, uh, and, I think all things and Catoriano uh, is the backup. They'll be able to play a 12 personnel just fine. Like I said, I believe in Jonathan Smith. He did a very good job of, of rotation and playing these guys in backup time. I I watched them. I don't know why I was doing that. I sort of felt compelled to do so. I think that their offense is going to be just fine. Is it going to fall off? Yeah, sure. But that's probably more about the offensive line than the skill players. What what percentage do you think the offensive line drops? Because I mean, I, and we'll I guess we'll really quickly oh, get, get into the. Okay, uh, so- First of all, I agree with Rob that Jim Halchick is one of the best offensive line coaches out there. Um, and the way that he developed those uh, senior offensive line players in 2019 was phenomenal. Like I was watching them play in 2018 and when Beavs fans were like really down on the program and I was like, you know what? They're about a year away from having a very good offensive line. Hey, who was right about that? Um, I'm sort of seeing another year like that where I think I'm we're going to see in a 2018 type of performance where they're a year away. Um, you know, they may be very good in 2021. But here's the thing. The four dudes that they're bringing back, uh, Kipper was a starter. And the other three guys, uh, Clark and Kia Bonham were uh, heavily used in rotation last year due to injuries, so they're not inexperienced. And Nathan Eldridge, who they got from Arizona along with Mahalchuk, you guys may remember him, is probably their best offensive lineman. He missed last year with an injury. He's coming back. He's probably going to be the center. Um, They have a good option for right tackle, a guy named Gray, who, no pun intended, gray-shirted. And I think it's a situation like kind of like what I was saying with Arizona state, where if those guys manage to stay healthy, it could be a good enough offensive line for them to be, do what they want to do and accomplish what they want to accomplish. If they take an injury on the other hand, Oh man, it could be real trouble. And just statistically, they're probably going to take an injury and they're probably going to be in real trouble. Oh man. Eldridge's knee as any Arizona fan is like a rely. I mean, he medically retired from Arizona 
I mean, that's, knees. Yeah, that's <laughs> a Odin situation. Like he could be really good if his knee doesn't explode, but it's already blown up twice. I don't. I like. I I hear you. Um, I think it's at least a thirty percent drop off in offensive, like uh, productivity, which could be fine because uh, the defense is going to be pretty solid. The one thing we should mention is the running backs. Uh, Jamar Jefferson returns. Uh, he had a nagging injury last year, so he should be back and healthy. Uh, B.J. Baylor also was pretty exciting, six yards per carry. Now you never know about the backup <laughs> running backs. Oftentimes the backups do really well because they're the backups and then they become the guy and they're not quite there. But the good thing is Baylor doesn't have to be that with Jefferson. They do lose Artavis Pierce, who is quite good. And then some sneaky recruiting, some two top 50 running backs. Uh, uh, I think it's uh, Tehran Madison, who was a top 30 running back, offers from Oregon, Utah, and Washington. That's good company. And Isaiah Newell also offers from Oregon, USC, and Utah. So some interesting people back there. I don't think that they're going to see the field all that much, but the fact that they have some pretty good running, uh, Rob, uh, certainly is going to bolster that offense. Yeah, I mean, like they their offensive line, Pro Football Focus had them graded out at number fifteen last season. I mean, like, I mean, they did a great job getting that offensive line to where they were. So yeah, we should expect them to, you know, maybe take a little bit of a step back. Uh, I don't, however, I mean, I expect them to to you know beat their projection. You know, maybe end up in the forties. Uh, on offense, just because I think Jonathan Smith does such a good job. And I like, unlike some, you know, offensive coordinators where we're talking about, like, are they going to try to fit the personnel? Like Jonathan Smith's going to figure out how to get the most out of what he's got this season. Um, and I think that they'll, you know, if that means that they are, you know, run, you know, figuring out to run the ball more than they did last year, if it turns out that these guys can run block better than pass block, then they're going to do that. Right. And, and it'll work. Um, and remember about Jamar Jefferson, that, you know, that back in 2018, when he was healthy and their offensive line was a year away from being a good offensive line, Jamar Jefferson was arguably the best running back in Pac-12. He had a phenomenal yeah. season in 2018. Oh, yeah. You know, if if all their offensive line is is as good as they were in 2018 and they have the 2018 version of Jamar Jefferson, they could light up the scoreboard running the ball. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move to defense here. Um, because I, I think there's some interesting pieces here too. Uh, the front seven Hithliday, you want to go into that? Because, uh, we have some oh, man. decent bodies up front. We have Hamilcar Rashid, uh, on the outside trying to uh, press. We have Addison gums back the Oklahoma transfer. There's some pieces here. There is both some really great news for Oregon state and some really tragic news for Oregon state in their front seven. Um, I'll start with the good news, which is that, yeah, they uh, had a really great edge rush uh, in Hamilcar Rashid. He's like the the sack leader of the country. I think number one, number two with Chase Lucas from Ohio State. Like, I mean, just phenomenal. Uh, um, they're solid, you know, everywhere else. Maybe not a phenomenal uh, uh, defensive line uh, or linebacker group, but like they knew what they were doing. They were in good positions. And uh the uh, and uh, good thing news number three is that, like I said, Jonathan Smith was very good about plugging the holes immediately when he arrived in Corvallis by getting transfers in who were just bigger bodies. You know, I, I wrote a film study article of the Oregon Oregon State game in 2018 where like the the film study clips were just comical, where Oregon's offensive line was just walking the defensive line backwards ten yards on every snap because they just didn't have any beef in the defensive line. Smith corrected that uh, post haste, and in 2019, that was simply not the case. You know, um, uh, a good news number four is that they are returning three different dudes on the uh, d- defensive front back from injury. Um, Andre Hughes Murray and Addison Gums and uh, 
Um, oh, I'm forgetting one of them. Uh, but another guy, uh, Jeremy Reichner, sorry. Um, all those guys were injured and missed 2019. They were arguably three of their best uh, players or most exciting players. Hell, Addison Gums, the transfer from Oklahoma, I was four star. You know, uh, they only lost a couple of dudes and they're getting dudes back from injury. So every reason to expect that, that they would take a step forward if they have good play from the nose guard, anybody, especially a Cal fan, can tell you that if you're playing a three down front and you don't have a nose guard, that you are in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> now, I think they were going to be fine despite losing Elu Aiden, who's just this absolutely enormous dude, because I think I liked the other guy better. Uh, his name's uh, uh, Whitley, uh, Tyler Whitley. Um, jo- uh, Jordan, and, right? Jordan Whitley? Or Jordan Whitley, sorry. Um uh, I really liked him as their nose guard. I thought he was more mobile and more uh, useful. The problem is Jordan Whitley discovered this summer that he has a tumor on his heart. And Jonathan Smith said the other day that it's uh, unlikely they're going to be able to play him, at least not in the first couple of weeks. And that's the most awful thing that I've heard in an offseason full of awful things. Um and to be crude about it, the way that, that it impacts the team is that I don't think they have another big enough body to play nose guard if he can't play and that you know it could be a very very promising defensive front that falls apart because they don't have a nose guard well that's depressing <laughs> rob like we've talked about cal a lot you know not being able to <laughs> the stop runs up in the middle <laughs> although like i mean if you take a look at everything else by the way let's talk about hamill card sheet for a second 131 tackles 200 uh, i'm sorry 200 22 and a half tackles for a loss 14 sacks three pass break- breakups two forced fumbles um you know, next him you got Riley Sharp, who I thought played really well as a redshirt freshman. Um, you also have Avery Roberts, who came into his own, 83 tackles, six and a half tackles for a loss. Omar Spates returns, like, who was a freshman All-American. Like, everywhere but that one spot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they return a ton. I mean, they, you know, for the second year in a row, I mean, they really return a ton off of what they played. You know, the and I do want to call it the sheet, too. I mean, they're... they're yeah, the the secondary really does even drive a lot of like your pass coverage drives a lot of sacks too, and the fact that he was able to generate so many sacks. With, yeah, Oregon State's defensive backs Oregon. were not driving those sacks. That was all, all Rashid and all right. the rest of these guys. Yeah, I mean the quarterback was not having to often check, you know, you know, find his check down against this Oregon State, you know, defense last season. So the fact that they've been as effective, I think, is quite remarkable and speaks to uh, I. Like uh, you were talking about Tibisar's scheme too, that they really are. You you know Rashid's coming, and he is still difficult to handle. Uh, and coming in at, at you know at, at great angles, I, I I think it's I like it. But I mean they're they're defensive. You know they were a little better against the run than they were against the pass, but they were still bad against the run last season. Sixty one an effective rush. Uh, and you know if if you're if you're a uh, a three down lineman team and you don't have somebody up the middle that can play two gap and, and help you cover the A and the B gap. I mean, like as with Cal's defense falling off, like you're just in a lot of trouble and there are some, there are some bad offensive coordinators in the PAC 12 that will not exploit that. Um, but there are also ones that will, and you know, the PAC, you know, the PAC 12 North, um, you know, does have, you know, a few more of the ones that will in it. <laughs> so, yeah, I will say that the, one of the things that I've, about their rushing defense that uh, is that a lot of that is the defensive backs. Now, the defensive backs are probably not getting any better, so this may be a moot point, but I figured I would throw it out anyway, that like on a per play basis, they were doing okay against the run. It's just that when they inevitably would give up a couple of big plays, the defensive backs weren't there to stop it. You know, a play that should have just been 20 yards will go for 80 yards, and that's oh, yeah. what blows up their rushing numbers. So it, 
if you know, you're probably right. If the defensive backs don't get any better, there's no reason to expect that's going to get any better. But, you know, uh, if miraculously they do, the defensive front could handle them. And if they get a nose guard, which I'm going to pray and hope that they do. So here's a question on scheme. So if if it's so dire, right? So Alexander Skelton is backing up Whitley um, and will likely move in. He's six foot, 302 pounds. If, if he isn't the guy, is it possible they shift up their scheme? I mean, you have somebody like Travis Shippen who was, uh, you know, like 285. He was a top 15 Juco defensive end. Like, is there is there any... I think it's unlikely that they change their scheme. I think they will just try to put... that. Uh... They will find whatever the biggest dude they have is. They will feed him a few extra sandwiches this October, and they will hope for the best. It's a That's a much better idea than changing up their scheme. Okay. Uh, moving to the secondary, they lose a lot of players to transfer um, and opt-outs, but none of them were starters. I mean, so there's not as much. I think they lost five secondary players to transfer um, in the offseason. But the, the good news is a lot of those players uh, actually weren't actually on the field <laughs> last year. So not as much depth, but there are players here, the cornerbacks, Isaiah Dunn, uh, Nashon Wright. Uh, they have their nickel that returns, Jaden Grant. They do lose both of their safeties. Hithliday, what's the secondary look like? I think the corners are just fine. Um, I uh, done. Uh, Grant's okay. I think uh, we saw Nation Wright uh, may move over to cornerback uh, as well. There's been some discussion of that. His his brother of last chance U fame may come in and take that position as uh, well. That may be interesting. You have both of the Wright brothers on the field simultaneously. Uh, you know, Wright blood brothers stopping flight for once. That would be a uh, you know that's going to show up on a T-shirt if that winds up being the case. Anyway. Uh, uh, the problem has been their safeties, and and it's been interesting because for two straight years, Oregon State returns, uh, you know, both both in the 2019 offseason and in the 2020 offseason, the same thing happened. They brought back a bunch of experienced DBs, but a bunch of dudes got in the transfer portal, and they took a ton of JCs. Um, and uh, what I think that reflects is Jonathan Smith. You know, like I said earlier, he doesn't try to fit a square peg in a round hole. Like, he doesn't look at dudes and say, well, I've invested in you, and I believe even you and I'm just going to hope that you get better. He's like, um, I need more dudes. I like, let's, uh, let's dip into the market and, and just throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and we'll find somebody who's good at this eventually. Um, so I don't know the answer to that question. I can't predict whether the spaghetti is going to stick to the wall or not, but I like that he's realistic about it. You know, I, I like that. He said, let's just keep taking dudes and, and finding somebody. If they can't find folks who play safety effectively, then it sort of blows up everything else that we've talked about. It blows up the explosive the rush defense it blows up their you know pass defense over the middle because the cornerbacks you know are it's simply not the defensive scheme the cornerbacks are playing sideline and over the top um the you know the and offensive coordinators in the pack 12 are maybe not phenomenal but they're good enough to exploit bad safety play um so uh, i don't know the answer to your question there's a scenario in which they're very good and the defense comes together there's a scenario in which they're not and it doesn't all right rob last word on oregon state we've talked about the offense we've talked about the defense um Let's let's rank them in the Pac-12 North. So you got uh, obviously Oregon and, and Washington. Where does Oregon State fit among the other Pac-12 North contenders? So right now, Oregon State projects last in the Pac-12 North. However, I would give them a personal bump because the model doesn't see Washington State making the coaching change that they made. Um, and I also am just less bullish on Stanford than I don't know. Max isn't here to defend the Cardinals honor. <laughs> um, so 
I'm just, I'm less bullish on Stanford. The model has just been, I mean, the model only projects Stanford at 49. And I, I, I think they might hit that. I think Oregon State beats 64. Um, so, the, you, know, the, you know, the projection model has them at 1.41 expected wins. Um, they're not favored in any game right now in there, but they're not far behind in a lot of these games. They, they just, um, they don't have, I mean, the, the, the real games that are going to be important for them to win is like right off the bat, they really, you know, they probably are going to need to pick off Washington state, um, you know, but they're, they're not as much as people love Cal, you know, I, I don't think Oregon state is as far off of Cal as people think. Send me all the hate mail you want now, Cal fans, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. About <laughs> like, that. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I mean, because Cal doesn't project, I mean, Cal doesn't project to be amazing coming into this year. Um, you know, only projecting at 39. I mean, and they're, they're playing that game in Corvallis. You know, the projection model only has them as about a, as Cal is a four and a half point favorite on the road in that game. Um, I, I, but I also think too, like some of what's going to, be true for this team is how good are there? I mean, this is an odd thing to say, but it's true. Like how good are their special teams? Cause their special teams were actually really good last season. That might be hard to repeat. If that falls off, they may not be quite as high as, uh, as even I've, I've been talking about here. They might be towards the lower forties, which I, I think is still beating their projection in a very good year. All right. I have them second to last in the pac 12 North. What about you? Hifflade? Uh, I, I have them third or fourth. It depends on how the Cal game goes down. Um, I, I do. I mean, the other thing is that their crossover game is Utah and we haven't talked about Utah yet, yeah. but that's a team where there is a scenario in which, you know, that, that team doesn't do very well at all. Um, so because of all their personnel losses, you know, it's just, there are question marks up and down the board with that team. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I like them to beat Stanford. I like them to beat Wazoo. Um, I, you know, Rob's right. They played their, the Cal game against them. And I haven't been nearly as high on Cal as a lot of people have. I, you know, I, I actually think OSU's got a decent shot at Cal, uh, in that game. Um, which means they could very well finish four and two. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to beat Oregon. I don't think they're going to beat Washington. Um, uh, uh, you know, both of those games are on the road for the, for the beeves, even if they, you know, were a comparable team talent wise and they're not. Um, but like, yeah, I you know somewhere between two and four. Let's average it out to three. Um, but an outside shot at four. All right, all right, fair enough. All right, let's get to Arizona and let's do it right after this. All right, we're back. Last team in the trio for this week. We're gonna go to Tucson and take a look at the Arizona Wildcats. And beginning this year, before COVID, we were actually pretty bullish on the Cats. And Rob, I think you're a little bit more bullish on them than I, I am now. Um, and, and part of the reason for my dip in confidence with how uh, the Wildcats were going to do this year is because just the litany of players that that took off. So you have Tony Fields, their linebacker left. Colin Schooler, their, their other linebacker left. Four or five players from the secondary take off. Um, the offensive line uh, seemed to have lost a, a, an offensive lineman, but uh, Leia comes back, and so he returns. So there's still some pieces to this offense, and um, there's still some pieces to the defense, but I'm a, I think it's way on more shaky ground than it was uh, coming into the COVID season. But, Rob, uh, what do the numbers say about Arizona here? Uh, so Arizona really struggled last season. They were at 80 overall in beta rank, um, 59 on offense, 85 on defense. Uh, their number's coming back this year. They actually have a some pretty good returning production on the defensive side of the ball. That, is, of course, has fallen off with Fields and Schooler gone, as well as Scotty uh, Scotty Young. 
Um, so that 76% returning production on the defensive side of the ball, you know, that's probably closer to 50% right now. Um, 50% coming back on the, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading uh, 66% coming back on the offensive side of the ball. So that is, they've got a decent amount coming back um, even on offense. I, I, I think that they've got, Oh, and then like you have to call out with Arizona too. Their special teams have just been awful for the last couple of years. Um, and you know, it, it is hard to see them making a significant change uh, so long as their offense continues to have really terrible field position. The offense last season, a little better throwing the ball than running the ball, 55 and effective pass, 65 and effective rush. Um, they struggled uh, to get outside zone going last season uh, in the way that they had the year before running the football. The defense, 89 and effective rush, 79 and effective pass. I mean, real, real problems at all levels, uh, you know, of the defense last season. But, you know, the Marcel Yates uh, show is over in Tucson, finally. <laughs> well, go ahead and make the bullish case here for Arizona, and then we'll flip over to Hifliday, uh to pour some <laughs> core cold water on the fire. Um, and, and I think it starts at Grant Gannell, but do you want to kind of highlight uh, – and, and look, again, everything is relative, right? We're not saying that Arizona is – and I know you're not saying that Arizona is going to place in the top half of, of the oh, uh, no. South, but more just like being competitive. I think, I think even that – drips you know drops off a little bit but um what's kind of the bullish case for arizona head into the season on the offensive side well i think you have to i think you really i think you really actually have to start with the fact that the, the defensive staff which someone had put together he was hired quite late in the cycle he you know he kept marcel yates on but i mean the defensive staff was an island of misfit toys uh in a lot of ways and in that oregon game there were rumors of fist fights on the sidelines um, Yates was so bad. He was fired mid year. You know, most of the staff wasn't retained. If you look at who they have now, I don't know that you would go out and say that, you know, Paul Rhodes is, is, you know, that they're going to suddenly be great, but the entire staff suddenly has a lot more professionalism <laughs> in it, you know, the, uh, across, like they don't have, you know, some jumped up, ju- uh, Juco defensive line coach that, you know, frankly doesn't know what he's doing. So, there's, I think that's where you have to start with because the defense has been so bad for so long that just getting Yates um, and those guys out the door, I think, is a big win. In the same way that we have to talk, like we would talk about with, you know, like Rob Likens being gone at Arizona State, you know, Bush Hamden being gone at Washington, you know, they're like, you know, they needed to make a change. They made the change, you know, coordinators and scheme really matter in college football. You know, I do expect the defense to improve, uh, even with Fields and Schooler gone, um, and Scotty Young, and then the other and Wilborn, right? All three of the freshman All Americans left, right? Although Wilborn had sort of fallen off. Yeah, he. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he hadn't seen the field really in a while. I think that might have been um, why he left. Um, but yeah. the, the, not not Schooler or Fields though. That like that's a that's a whole other issue. Schooler left like because the, the and I saw this like Schooler left because the Schooler family didn't think the Pac-12 was playing football. So then they go to yeah. Texas and then get COVID at Texas Tech and, and now they're on the field. So um, the other part it, it, there, there's so there's there's an, there's two other parts. I'll try to be quick. One is Grant Gannell, um, who Really, we have an opportunity to see Noah Mazzoni with a, an honest-to-goodness quarterback that he would like to have for the first time since he had Rosen at Texas or at UCLA, um, because he came in even at A and M with, 
you know, the in the aftermath of all of those transfers out of the AM program, when all of the, you know, Kyle Allen, and, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, he's the quarterback for the Cardinals now. Kyler Murray. Picture, Kyler Murray, yeah, uh, transferred out. Uh, you know, Gunnell was a lot better, a lot better than Tate last season. And so giving all of the snaps to Gunnell does get through his reads, takes care of the ball, is accurate, gets the ball, you know, and is able to get the ball down the field. He doesn't have the biggest arm. Uh, I'm less fussed on, like, I, I think people focus on that a little too much, particularly in college ball. I think that matters. The offensive line, they returned quite a bit on the offensive line. They weren't great last year. Um, but, you know, they also were not, you know, they were graded out at 46 uh, last season for pro football focus. That's not bad. Um, you know, and there's, there's some definite room. I think, you know, lay moving inside to guard is a win for them. You know, they really like Jordan Morgan. Um, you know, he could potentially, you know, make a difference. The other one I want to just mention real quick is that they have Trevin Mason started to develop towards the end of last season on the defensive side of the, on the defensive line. They do get a nice transfer that, you know, the guys at pro football focus really liked at Roy Lopez from New Mexico state. Um, and, and fill some of like, where, as they're moving to this three, four, you know, the, the defensive line has really been a problem for this program. I really do think Lopez can nail down that nose tackle spot. Um, he's a guy that does, he's an incredibly physically strong guy that just sort of fell through the cracks in recruiting and, and, um, you know, the, the, the tape on him that has been watched by the guys at PFF, they really like. Um, so I, I think he has an opportunity. He's not necessarily going to be a star in the Pac-12, but he should be a significant upgrade of what they have. But they suddenly have like a lot of bodies. You know, you know, it, if you looked at the old Rich Rod rosters, they just they were so small um, compared to what a normal Power Five program should look like. Um, and they finally have some depth on the offensive line, some depth on the defensive line that may open things up more. But there, you now have questions, and and you know you could talk to this like we were you you could have said this about this Oregon State defense that the the pass defense up the middle for Arizona the linebackers and the safeties last season was atrocious, mm-hmm. um, and that yeah I know Schooler and Fields were really great as pass rushers they were not great awful in back in the pass coverage yeah yeah um, is that that like on some of this there's like there's some I, I mean there are really big questions I think but. I do think when when people are going around and like the the prevailing narrative in in the Pac-12 is like Arizona is like gasping for air and someone's like barely going to get this together. Meanwhile, like Colorado will be fine and like we're projecting like people are projecting UCLA. Like I've seen quite a few books that have UCLA projected at three and a half wins. I mean, that drives me bonkers because I look at this and I'm like Arizona actually has a core. I mean, like you would take Grant Cannell over. Dorian Thompson Robinson or anyone in Colorado any day of the week. Right. I mean, it's, it's that level of like, guys, are we, are we sure about this? Um, so I'm not like, I'm not pushing back. Like Arizona has three games on their schedule. They have no shot of winning. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and then they have, and then they have the three games on their schedule that they have a reasonable shot, uh, you know, of, of being, and they've got the UCLA game. They've got the, Colorado game, and then they've got the game against Arizona State, uh, where they are all all of those games, whether Arizona is an underdog or even a slight favorite against UCLA or against Colorado, are going to be within a touchdown in the spread. I, I would push back on ASU. Um, I think Arizona no, has a better. ASU's not going to be that good. No, I, like, think, I mean, seriously uh, though, ASU's going to be Pac-12 good. 
But like people need to realize what we talk about with that. Like ASU, if they hadn't drawn Florida State and had drawn like a regular actual not falling apart team in a bowl last year, would have a totally different narrative coming into the season. Yeah, I I think Arizona has a better chance to beat Utah than than ASU this year. Um, I don't know. That could be a bull take. Like I mean, we'll talk about Utah. They just it's just they don't bring back anybody. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see how they put that team together. But Hithliday, um, go ahead and talk about Arizona here. Feel free to to take it in any direction you want. We kind of put Arizona last because uh, the expectations are so low. So the world's your oyster. Well, I certainly agree with Rob. Well, I agree with Rob on a number of different points. I disagree in a few of them. Uh, I certainly agree with Rob that three and a half for UCLA is a bad winter. Like that's probably the, if you were allowed to bet, take the under on three and a half for UCLA for pity's sake. Um, however, I think that Arizona and UCLA will share one win between them. Like that's a, that's a one in nine situation. Um, the, 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 I, I just don't, I just don't see it for Arizona. The, I guess I'll start with the defense. Like this has been the number 74 team in S and P plus defense for seven of the last nine years. Um, they have been recruiting, you know, the lowest in the pac 12 for as long as the recruiting records have existed. Uh, you know, I, you're, you're, I'm glad that you were jumping for joy that Marcel Yates uh, has been uh, fired. Uh, as I recall, one of the first things, we ever said to each other was about Marcel Yates Bryant. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm glad that you've come around. Um, the uh, the uh, I don't think Paul, replacing him with Paul Rhodes is going to get that that much of a jump. You know, we talked about remember Bryant about UCLA uh, last time we talked was that you know inexplicably their defensive backs from 2018 to 2019 uh you know went from very talented productive group to the opposite of that and there's no real way to conclude other than than paul rhodes doesn't know how to coach uh dbs um you know it may be that he's better as a defensive coordinator than as a uh, than as a defensive backs coach but to on that, the other hand to that like, point real fast though on that is and you know and i don't find a ton of solace in this but he's coaching the inside linebackers and safeties and Greg Burns, who has been coaching for 23 years, um, and most recently at USC, Oregon State, and Cal, is the defensive backs coach. Um, so he'll be doing the corners and probably having a hand in that. So I don't know if that changes sure. your, your I, <laughs> opinion on that, well, but it, it is I, important. I, I was aware of that. I'm just saying that, like, you know, I, I never really thought much of Paul Rhodes. And the last time we saw him coaching any unit of the defense, he was probably the reason why it it, it went south. Um, uh, you know, I, I agree with you that Greg Burns is probably, you know, well, he's certainly better than Marcel Yates and Demetrius Martin, who, as far as I can tell, were the um, – were the DBs coaches, you know, previously, uh, you know, but I, I, I'm just not seeing a huge bump, you know, especially, you know, if they, if it is in case, in fact, the case they're switching schemes, uh, they haven't been recruiting for it and this is the wrong year to do it. You know, they don't have a ton of practice time. Um, uh, you know, losing their linebackers who were the bright spot of the, you know, the defense they had three freshmen, all Americans, uh, when they were freshmen, now all of them are gone. Like, you know, uh, you know, I have I have a hard time seeing you know the defense rebounding given all you know these losses and a scheme change. Um, I I do kind of like the offense. Uh, I agree with you about Grant Gannell. I I um the you know I've been trying to tell anybody who'd listen that Grant Gannell is one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the Pac-12 at least on a statistical basis. But now, you know, I, I guess it's my job to to give him the Jaden Daniels treatment because <laughs> um, we're <laughs> so excited about. Him. 
Like, I'll say a couple of things. First is that uh, now this may be a good scheme fit for Mazzoni, but it does, you know, need to be said. We have not seen him, you know, point his hips and throw the ball downfield. In fact, from film study, I can tell you, I think I think the numbers like him better than I like him on film. Um, He is breaking the pocket a lot, a lot more often than he should be. Uh, and he's not phenomenally successful. I mean, he's more successful than Jane Daniels when he breaks the pocket. He's about 54% successful. Uh, but still, like, he, you know, he's breaking it too much. Um, and, and that means your offensive coordinator is not, you know, whatever plus value that Noel Mazzoni's offense brings, he's not playing within the structure of Noel Mazzoni's offense more than half the time. Um, and, you know, and he has this funny throwing motion where he's throwing with his hips square and kind of pushing the ball, which is fine if you're doing a lot of little short passes. And maybe that's all he's going to be doing in Noel Mazzoni's offense when he's scrambling. But if you want to actually operate an offense, like you need to point your hips, throw the ball downfield. And we've just not seen him do that. And we have no idea whether or not he can. And remember, he was doing that in the UCLA game in 2019, which was early in the year when the offensive line had not been, you know, yet gotten, you know, totally destroyed by injuries. You know, he was still choosing uh, to play that way, you know, back then. Um, So, you know, we are going to have to wait and see. Like, I certainly agree with you that he's a better quarterback than Khalil Tate. That's a low bar. Um, You know, he's not going to run backwards and out of bounds. Uh, You know, that's that's good news. Uh, You know, beyond that, I I think we're going to have to see. Um, I like the wide receivers who are coming back for the most part. I particularly enjoy that Jamari Joyner, um, you know, the quarterback has turned out to be a real bright spot. I, you know, he broke his foot and has to have like railroad spikes put into it. Like his, his mom posted some x-rays on Twitter that were kind of gross, um, but also kind of cool. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope that he is a hundred percent off of that. Uh, you know, Brian, I remember when we talked a year or two ago about, um, you know, the wide receiver court, they're sort of at a crossroads, right. Where, um, where Richrod had been recruiting these like short little guys where, you know, like five foot seven Tavian Cunningham is playing <laughs> and, and Stanley Berryhill at five ten and, you know, guys, you know, like a, a bunch of slot receivers, but then there's, you know, they're playing slot receivers at X and Z as well, you know, and they recruited a bunch of tall guys and they didn't really play them, you know, that much last year. And this is the point where, you know, you, you know, Drew Dixon, six, three got 14 catches last year thomas reed six two got five catches last year jalen johnson six two got seven catches last year booby curry i don't even understand what happened to booby curry i thought he was pretty good he's six foot two he got six catches last year was he hurt or something no I, he I, might have been in the doghouse i mean curry's a guy that you expect to break out this year um because he okay, played, so I mean, why he wouldn't can, he have broken like if it's no mazani it's kevin sumlin uh you know, why the heck would these guys not have broken out? And if the reason, you know, why they were recruited, you know, to be stud, you know, X and Y, X and Z receivers who are tall guys who are going to run on the perimeter, how's that going to work with Noel Mazzoni's offense and Grant Cannell's arm? I think, I mean, I, I think this is, uh, I mean, I would say that I think it can work. My question is coming into this though, is like there, there are some serious questions from last year lingering about personnel management and usage that are there. I mean, like Tate played too much last season. I mean, I, I think, I mean, there are, there's some Their Arizona hand is fans. Be forced on that one, but it doesn't reflect yeah. well. The people yeah. I mean, but, yeah. I mean, that, that like, there are a lot of Arizona fans that would disagree with that. And it was, I mean, it was sort of like watching, you know, Elvis continuing to play on the strip, but you know, <laughs> like at the, um, you know, but that, you know, some of the, some of the decisions I think, play, you know, in, in how they divvied out playing time at wide receiver were, were really questionable last season. And I think that they are, you know, 
whether they, you know, whether that, if that carries over into this season, I think that that could really hurt the offense. Here's the question. I, I agree with you. There's a, you know, I, I've been saying that about a lot of different teams where it's like, you know, we, we said about UCLA, Bryant, uh, when we talked last time, you know, like, hey, you have talent. Why are you playing, why, uh, you know, four, uh, walk-ons ahead of your four stars? That reflects poorly on you. It means one of two things is true. Either those four stars aren't really ready to play, you know, that they're all busts and uh-oh, or it means that your coaching staff's uh, ability to assess you know, talent and put the right guys on the field is malfunctioning. And if you're returning those coaches, then, you know, who cares what you've got on paper? Like either of the answers to those questions are not good. Now here's, I want to pivot, you know, so from that question mark about the, the, the skill players to the offensive line, I realized that the offensive line was injured as hell last year. Like I is, you know, I, I believe that I saw 11 different players, uh, play offensive linemen for Arizona state in 2019. And I think because I didn't chart every one of their games, I missed a guy. Like, I think it was actually 12. Um, that that's absolutely bonkers. And I understand that injuries were running through it. And I also understand that a silver lining to that cloud is that, you know, returning a lot of dudes with a lot of snaps worth of experience. My question is, did you get the sense from that offensive line play that that was experimentation, that they couldn't figure out who the good linemen were or where they were supposed to be playing. Like you mentioned, Laia, you know, that guy's not a tackle. That guy's a guard. You know, why were they playing him at tackle? Why were they playing Congol or Conjol, uh, you know, a walk-on uh, ahead of dudes who were like high three stars? Um, what, you know, do, do you think that, that that question mark about are you making the correct personnel decisions, does that question mark apply to the offensive line? I think that the, I mean, and I say this like, cause they inherited a hellscape from Rodriguez on both the defensive and offensive lines in recruiting. Um, I think that they, there's two parts that one is that they were, they were plugging as best they could. Like, I don't think that there was anyone that could really play tackle. <laughs> well, like, hey, it came in as a freshman. Right. And I think that they plugged him in there because they had to. Um, and I think that that, you know, the, the move into guard is that they really felt like that maybe they had Jordan Morgan, you know, finally where they, you know, that they felt like that they could play him. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there is some of that, you know, along there as well. Conwell's a guy that they seem to really, I mean, he came with them from A&M uh, where he had been a walk on. They really seem to, to like there. I, I, yeah, I, and I, I guess the question too, and you know, I'm interested to hear your thought because like, I, I really like some of their backs, particularly as route runners. Um, and, and they tend to go out for routes in the zoning system. The, the, the tight ends actually end up on the field a lot, but purely as extra blockers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I noticed that. I, I sort of felt like the tight ends were like a, a vestigial aspect of the offense and they probably be better off going to either four wides or what I would really like to see. And I was surprised 20 personnel, was, please 20 personnel. Exactly. Yes. Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, obviously JJ Taylor was the beast out of the backfield. Like he got, what was it like 35, you know, catches out of the backfield last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, Obviously, Bam Smith and Michael Wiley um, got fewer than that, but their ratio, you know, like J.J. Taylor was getting a pass for every like six touches that he got in terms of carries and Smith and Wiley were getting a patch for every like two touches, you know, like they were primarily or not primarily, but like it was their, you know, definitely 
their secondary role, whereas for Taylor, it was like third or fourth. Um, and, you know, I guess what my question is, and then obviously Brightwell, like, couldn't catch the ball to save his life. I don't know what the deal with that is. I know sometimes some guys running backs just can't catch the ball, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I guess I am curious about that as well, is, you know, whether this running back group is, you know, is the reason that Wiley and Smith were getting so many passes is that is that just because they were backups and when you bring backups in, you do different stuff? Or is that because they really thought those guys were better as pass catchers than they were as ball carriers? I don't know. I didn't see him enough. Cause yeah. you know, if you have JJ Taylor, uh, you know, why are you handing the ball to anybody else? Unless JJ Taylor is tapping his helmet and saying, take me out coach. Yeah, and I'm interested to see, I, I really am. Like, I, I think that there is a, there's an interesting misconception. I'm not, I don't think that Arizona if you look at their raw recruiting rankings, they're not all that different. I mean, they're not probably not going to be all that different. Really. <clears throat> yes, they but if are. You, I mean, but, but if you but if you look at the players themselves and the body types they're recruiting, they're very different from what Rodriguez was bringing in. <laughs> And oh that, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, in my haste to make a snarky uh, interjection, I, you're right. It is a transformation from Rich Rod to Kevin Sumlin. People have, I think, rightfully said, "Hey, wait a minute, Kevin, where's the swag copter, buddy? You know, we hired right. you in order to be a, a crackerjack recruiter, and you haven't been." But you're right. In comparison to Rich Rod, it really has been a transformation. Now there really is a massive fallout between the number 10 team and the number 11 team, yes. you know, and, and, and by the way, I will also endorse your snarking about Cal. Like that's the number 10 team in terms of talent. Like for everybody who's on the Cal train, like <laughs> uh, no pun intended, Cal train is actually a public institution. Um, the, yeah, that's not a particularly talented team, but you know, what team is falling off a cliff even worse in terms of talent. There's an wildcats. No, I, I agree. I mean, like, I, I fully agree. Like, I don't, like, I am not making, I am, I am merely making, because I think that people are describing Arizona as if they are like truly a black hole that like, that is where Kevin, someone in the team would go are going. And I just, I think that there's like that. And maybe like, maybe I spent all, maybe I spent all and like, I, I, it's like, I can't wait till football actually starts so I can stop dealing with whatever the narratives are in the off season. I just feel like the narratives for Arizona are actually too bleak and it's not that arizona is going to be like some amazing football team they're not but the description that somehow like this team has less talent than they did under rodriguez is nonsensical and that this team is not like this team is actually i don't think that kevin someone is necessarily an a plus i mean he's not jonathan smith we're not talking about that same level of staff by any stretch i mean if you took that that oregon state staff and put them with these players you would get a better result but I do think that he has at least tried to put together a, I mean, with the, with the exception I would really think is if you look at the safety room, that is a bit of a mess right now. But, you know, for the most part, if you look across the rest of the two deep, he's actually started to fill it in with what you would describe as actual like power five bodies, you know, and that's different, right? And it like, but like Arizona is at a point right now where like this season, like, I mean, Booby Curry has to, I mean, Arizona can't miss on a four star. They don't sign a lot of them. Booby Curry has to produce this season. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, well, let's, now we did three games, we did three teams in the same amount of time as we did two teams. So we're getting better at this. Um, so let's wrap this up. But I have one question, and if you can answer it real quick, Rob, um, because I think it's the biggest question facing Arizona is what are they doing at the linebacking position? You lose Tony Fields, you lose Colin Schooler, you lose Anthony uh, Day Day Coleman. So you have Anthony Pandy, and then what do you do? 
So Anthony, so Jalen, so they're moving to the three. I mean, people say like they're moving to the three, four. You will spend most of your time in nickel. So, you know, and at least nickel. So three, 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 you know, like you, you have Jalen Harris, you have Anthony Pandy. They like Darian Clark. Cobano Watson is a guy that had an, had a, an offer sheet that was pretty decent. He had an offer from LSU coming out. Um, they also like Jabbar Triplett. There's also the potential uh, to move to be moving back some of the smaller guys that they had recruited in. Uh, Eddie uh, Sayamaya Sanatoa uh, doesn't really have the weight right now to be a defensive end, um, and he could move back. There's, there's, it's when you look at it. I and I, you know, and Hiplet hit hit on this rather well. Yeah, Schooler and and you know, and Fields were like heat seeking missiles in the run game and like get, trying to rush the quarterback. <laughs> they. I mean, they, they go back and watch just the Hawaii game and the, bend, <laughs> oh, and, and, and the bend routes that the slot receivers just torched the middle of that Arizona defense, the safeties and the linebackers on. I mean, there's there uh, like these guys get built up because they were freshman All-Americans. I mean, this is going to sound incredibly harsh. Being a freshman All-American is like a volume stat. You're like a volume shooter on a bad team usually because you're usually a guy that's on a bad de- like on a bad team who gets in as a freshman because that team doesn't have anybody ahead of you that's going to beat you out. And then you just get a bunch of stats. And that was a lot of the, I mean, like fields and schooler are starting for other power five teams like that. That speaks well to them. But like, I, 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 I think that there will be some fall off, but like Jalen Harris is a guy that, I mean, he's another guy that everybody's been excited about for a long time. He really hasn't produced. He's got to, I mean, he really has to this year because with, you know, fields and school are gone. He's going to be on the field a lot. All right. Well, hey, let's leave it there. Hour and 45 minutes recording, hour and 30 minutes on the podcast. Next week, we're going to go into some of the contending teams. Very excited about that. Stay tuned. Hitler Day is going to join us. And uh, and we will see you, everybody, next week. And don't forget to share the podcast. Get entered into the Pac-12 Survivor Pool. Thanks, guys, for coming on. And we'll catch you next week. Take care.